You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. Before we move on with the rest of the service, let's just pause for a minute and we want to remember uh, all those that have uh, given their lives uh, in defense of our country and those that are serving today. Um, the uh, casualties are not just uh, on the battlefield. There's a lot of homes that are uh, without a father, without a mother today. A lot of kids that are missing them. And so uh, we just want to pause and express our thanks to the Lord and also uh, our love for them and our support for them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this nation, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the many ways that you have intervened on our behalf, Lord. You have shown uh, your favor to us, Lord. Uh, And we thank you today, Lord, for the men and women uh, that have laid down their lives, uh, Lord, uh, so that we could enjoy this nation and this government that we have, Lord. Um, Our nation is not perfect, Lord, but um, it is uh, fixable, we believe. And we believe also, Lord, that uh, you have uh, good intentions toward us, Lord. And uh, so we just pray today, Lord, for for those that have uh, gone before those that have paid the ultimate uh, sacrifice, Lord. uh, We just say thank you for that. Uh, We also say today, Lord Jesus, we ask for your blessing on the many military families that are represented here in our congregation, Lord, and worldwide um, that are sacrificing so much, uh, Lord, uh, to defend our freedoms. And uh, just pray for a blessing on them, Lord. Uh, Pray that you would minister to them, Lord, minister to to their families and just that you would be glorified in it. And I pray, Lord, that you would find us to be people who uh, don't take such things for granted, Um, that you would uh, find us, Lord, to be people who honor those who are honorable, uh, who uh, give respect and uh, and, uh, gratitude, uh, Lord, to those who have uh, given so much to us. And uh, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, uh, I'm going to let the kids go to children's ministry, the ones that are going. And if you're here today and you're ready to join the church, if you've gone through the, um, the uh, newcomers, new members class, I'm, I invite you to come. And uh, now would be a good time. You guys introduce yourself. All right. It's one of the one of the things that I enjoy the most is a new members class. Uh, just getting to hear everybody's, um, what they've experienced coming into TCF, and it's the same thing that I experienced so many years ago, um, just the, the love and the warmth and the home uh, that they found, and uh, so, and it's been great to spend uh, some time with these guys as we've gone through the class, just learning a little bit about their story and uh, how they are particularly gifted and called of God, and uh, just really excited about the difference that they can make, the contributions that they can make in our bodies, so. Um, Let's pray uh, and receive them this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for um, uh, these new members, Lord, of our congregation. I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would receive every benefit uh, that comes to them uh, from being a member, a committed member, Lord, a a working, active member of of a local fellowship, Lord. Um, I pray, Lord, that they would be encouraged, uh, that they would be ministered to, that their needs would be provided for, Lord. Um, I pray, Lord Jesus, that every spiritual blessing um, that comes from the Holy Spirit dwelling in the midst of his people would be theirs in abundance. 
And I also pray, Lord Jesus, that this would be a big step forward for them, Lord, a new chapter in their life, um, a new place, Lord Jesus, to, uh, to grow and to learn, but also to work and to serve and to do meaningful labor, Lord, in the kingdom of God. And we receive them, Lord Jesus, as gifts um, from you. Thank you, Lord, for planting them here. Um, thank you, Lord Jesus, for uh, growth uh, for our congregation. And we pray for more, Lord. We pray that you would uh, expand our hearts, um, expand our reach, Lord, and our influence in this community, that more people might find, Lord, um, the, uh, the blessing and comfort and grace of the body of Christ. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for us. Y'all be sure and, uh, and greet them after church. Right. Did, did I let the kids go? Oh, okay. All right. I thought that was me that did that. So we are uh, starting a new series today. Um, oh, we're going to have uh, communion at the end of the service. If you're not a member here, you're welcome at this table. Jesus set this table for all of us. And uh, you don't have to be a member here. You don't have to be baptized here. Um, in order to fully participate. So if you're a guest with us this morning, um, you just prepare your heart for, um, for communion like you always do and uh, just uh, join with us. We, we want you to participate as well. So I'm going to start a series this morning. Um, I'm, as I've told you before, I'm doing the uh, one year reading through the Bible in a year um, and I'm in the book of Psalms. I'm up to my eyebrows in the book of Psalms and uh, the uh, particular um, reading through the Bible in a year that I'm doing um, has, it, it goes straight through the Bible. So it doesn't do like New Testament and Old Testament. So that means when I'm reading in the, in the Old Testament, I'm reading a ton of, of uh, chapters. And so in Psalms, I think I'm reading five uh, to ten per day. Uh, and it has just been glorious. It's just been so good. Um, it's been a long time since I've read through the book of Psalms just straight through uh, and just let it soak into my heart and into my soul and I'm so, um, I'm so benefiting from that. And in this uh, time, I have uh, kind of um, wanted to um, speak on, preach on uh, worship. I've wanted to do that for a while uh, and I just really feel like that this is a great opportunity and a great time um, for us to, um, just as a body, just stop and think about what we're doing when we worship the Lord. Now, I want to say right off the bat that worship is not singing, but singing should come from worship. We worship the Lord in many ways, but corporately we come together and we do some amazing things that, that, uh, that uh, when we gather together. I don't know if you've thought about this or not. We say the same thing. We sing the same songs. Uh, we declare something together, um, and it's something that's really pleasing to the Lord. And so, uh, I wanted to, to uh, start with this, and I'll, I'll tell you what the, book, the Song of Ascents, Songs of Ascents uh, are uh, first. My scripture, key scripture this morning is from um, Psalm 122, which is one of the Songs of Ascent, um, and it was written by David, and he says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So the Song of Ascents is um, it's kind of like a mixtape that you make when you go on a trip. Have you ever done that? You ever, like, when you go on a trip, like, you get, you know, a group of songs that you just really want to listen to uh, and put them together, and then you just play it. Sometimes it has to do with the places that you're going through. Sometimes it has to do with just kind of your mood. Um, one of my favorite uh, road trip songs um, is uh, by Willie Nelson. It's uh, On the Road Again. Uh, it's hard to uh, listen to that and not want to speed a little bit, um, because it just kind of gets, gets me going, and the memory that's attached to that uh, is uh, when my son was in the hospital um, some years ago, and he was in and out of the hospital, and sometimes he was in for a long time. He was in for a month and a half at one point, um, and man, when we got in the truck to come back home, we would put on Willie Nelson. He always wanted to listen to Willie Nelson on the road again, and uh, we were thinking about what we were leaving. You know, we were leaving the hospital. We were leaving, uh, you know, all the medical procedures and all of that. And we were thinking about where we were going. Home is never so sweet to you until you spent a long time in the hospital. 
it just kind of makes you really appreciate that. That was, that was something that I learned um, going through um, an extended hospital stay with, um, with Josh um, is just how sweet a normal day at home with nobody sick and nothing going on. It's heaven, you know? And it's, I've tried to cultivate that and tried to remind myself of that, but it's just one of those things that you just really can't get until you don't have it. Well, the Song of Ascents is kind of like that. It's kind of like, um, it's, a, it's a group of psalms, it's uh, 14 psalms um, that um, are a, um, are, some of them are written by David, some of them are anonymous, one of them is written by Solomon. Uh, and they were designed to be um, something that they sang together, corporately, they sang together. They're not really sure where they were singing this. They think that it was like the road from Jericho up to Jerusalem, which is a really you know, steep and rough um, route from, uh, from uh, Jericho, which is uh, almost on the same level as the Dead Sea, um, very low, and going all the way up to Jerusalem. And they talk, it starts in uh, Psalm 120, um, and he's just talking about, it's, it's, a, it's a lament um, about uh, where they are and where they're, where they're coming from. <clears throat> but they're always looking to Jerusalem, they're always looking to where they're going. Um, Songs for the road. Um, the focus isn't just on the destination, but it's also on the journey. It's also on what is going along uh, uh, as well while they're, while they're making this journey together, what they're experiencing together. Um, and it has a parallel to our lives because we are on a journey and we are singing some songs together on the journey. And it is reminding us of the destination that we're going to, but we're also delighting in the company that we keep and the things that we get to do um, along the way. You know, when I've been reading the Psalms, I find that, I don't know about you, but I find that the Psalms are a little bit challenging. Um, they, are, they are poetry that was written in another language, so when they translate it into English, it doesn't always rhyme. In fact, it hardly ever rhymes. Um, some of the uh, references are obscure. Some of them, uh, the things that they're talking about, um, probably meant a lot to those people at that time, but there are idi uh, idioms and, um, and the forms of, of saying things that we're not familiar with. And a lot of Scripture is that way. Do you find that to be true? It's, a lot of Scripture is, um, is not easy. It's not on the bottom shelf. Um, and so much of what we do today, so much of what we read is intentionally on the bottom shelf. Because they're just trying to engage you. They're not really trying to educate you. They're not really trying to improve you. They're just trying to capture your attention. And so when you come to the Word, sometimes it just takes a lot of work. I mean, it's just, that's what you should expect, is that, you know, you're going to have to take some, you know, time and concentrate and really work on it um, in order for it to bear fruit. But it does bear fruit eventually. Because the things that, that the Psalms are singing about, the things that David wrote about, are so dear to our hearts. You know, um, he's the greatest songwriter that ever lived. I can't imagine that, that anybody ever wrote songs that were sung by more people than sing David's songs. And some of the stuff that he wrote is part of the fabric of our culture, really. Um, I was watching a, a movie several years ago um, that was about the American Revolution, uh, the Revolutionary War, um, and in the, in the movie, uh, a guy gets shot, and he immediately starts reciting the, Lord, the, um, the 23rd Psalm. And I thought, I wonder how many people do that when they get bad news or when they, when they realize that they're about to die, that their first reaction is to say some words that were written, what, 4,000, 3,000 years ago. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's such a great songwriter. He's such a great, uh, he uses such, such great imagery. And even though they're very old, they're still very current. And some of the ways that, that the Psalms say things are an improvement on the way that we say things. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the, at the Psalms, the challenges um, that uh, we face in, in, in order to make these part of our worship, but we're also going to talk about worship. I want us to be really intentional and, and have some real insight and understanding about what we're doing when we worship the Lord. Because I've been in some places where I know that all they're doing is singing songs. 
I know that there's really, their heart's not in it, there's no volume to it, there's no, you know, uh, uh, it's not spontaneous, it's not effervescing, it's just going through the motions and singing the songs and being done with it. Um, and I, I don't think that God necessarily loves that kind of worship. It just sounds like singing, a clanging gong or a clanging cymbal or something like that. I just don't think that that's what he's after in it. So I want to give you a little bit of background um, to David uh, and David's um, form of worship. Now, when Israel was in uh, the wilderness, God told them how to approach him. And he had them make this structure called the um, tabernacle, um, which housed uh, a piece of furniture that was called the, um, the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where the presence of God dwelt. So if you had a drone and you flew over Israel in the wilderness, you would see them in the shape of a cross. And at the middle of that cross would be this structure called the tabernacle. And God gave them instructions how to make this thing so that it would be portable. So everything could move. So they would come and they would camp out. The first thing that they would do is set up the, um, the tabernacle. And at the tabernacle is where all the sacrifices were. And God gave them prescriptions for sacrifices. God never told them to sing. He never told them to sing. He just said, here's how you sacrifice to me, and it'll be a pleasing thing in my, um, uh, in my ears for, for me to hear this and for me to see this. He said, this is, this is what I want you to do. And you know the story of Israel. It was like they, they were so prone to wind up in the ditch. Like immediately, you know. The, God told them what he wanted them to do, and immediately they started doing things that were not pleasing to God at all. But the presence of God was a powerful thing. All the nations around them all worshipped all of these foreign gods, these, um, these idols. And you know what the truth is about that? They weren't real gods. They're not, they're not anything. These people are just wasting their breath and wasting their time trusting and believing in these things because the, uh, in, um, in one of the prophets he says, you know that you made this thing. You know it's not alive. You carved it. And yet you're worshiping that and you're, you're, you're uh, bowing down to it and, and things like that. You've got to prop it up just right so it doesn't, doesn't tip over. Well, Israel found that when God went into battle with them, they prevailed. And fast forward to the time of a guy named Eli who was a priest. Uh, it, it was, it's in the book of Judges and he was the last, well, J Samuel was the last of the judges. Um, but Eli, the, the nation was under uh, attack, and uh, they were losing, and they were scared. And so they said, get the Ark of the Covenant. And so they went and got the Ark of the Covenant from where they had parked it in, uh, in Shiloh, and they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the battle. And the enemy said, we've got to capture the Ark of the Covenant or they will defeat us. And so they fought like demons. And they captured the Ark of the Covenant, and they defeated Israel, and many people died in that battle. And so the, foreign, the, the, um, the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant, and they went and set it up uh, in their uh, place of worship. And uh, they had a god named Dagon there, it was a fish god. And uh, they put the Ark of the Covenant in there with Dagon, they came in in the morning, and Dagon had fallen down. And they, they, tipped, they set him back up, and they propped him up just right, and they're just like, okay, that's got that done and then they leave and then the next day they come back and Dagon's fallen down again and they're just like okay that's weird you know so they prop him up again come back the next day and he fell and he broke his head and his arms or his feet got got broken off he was destroyed then they started breaking out in some strange diseases and stuff and they're like we can't have this Ark of the Covenant so what they did is that they loaded it up on a on a cart and they sent it back into Israel. So here's this poor, lonely cow going back into Israel, hauling this piece of furniture that kills people. And they, when they got into Israel, just inside the border of Israel, um, they took the Ark of the Covenant. They uh, made a sacrifice out of the cow. Um, she was having a bad day. Um, and and they, just, they just parked it there. It, it, it was... It was technically back in Israel, but nobody even seemed to care. The worship in Israel had come to the point where it was so um, perfunctory. It was what do we need to do and what do we have to do. And even at that, there was no, 
There was no heart in it. Well, the next king that came up was uh, Saul. And uh, apparently Saul didn't really pay very much attention to the Ark of the Covenant. And he, got, he died. And then the next king that came up was King David. Now, David was a worshiper from the time he was born, practically. I mean, he was a shepherd, but if you'd have seen what he was doing when he was on the hillside with those sheep, he was writing songs, man. That's probably where the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. As he is being a good shepherd to his sheep, he's singing about the Lord. He's praising the Lord. He is being, becoming uh, uh, more and more skilled at the instrument and at songwriting He's becoming more and more skilled at worshiping God in a way that God loved. It wasn't perfunctory. It wasn't like by the book. It was spontaneous. It just flowed out of his heart. And whenever, whenever the Bible talks about David, it says he was a man after God's own heart. And if you read the Psalms, you understand why the Bible says that about him. He was not perfect. He was not perfect. He was a flawed human being. He took advantage of his position to do things for himself and cost other people their lives. He was not a great guy, but he was a man after God's own heart. And you know why? Because he knew how to worship God, and he knew how to repent, and he knew what God's intention for his people was. And that's what made him a man after God's own heart. And that's what made him probably the greatest king that Israel ever had. And you can find it in the book of Psalms. Because the book of Psalms is a, is a book of uh, such a varied book. You know what? One thing that I've noticed over and over again, I have a lot of questions about this. I'm going to have to dig into it and find out uh, what it's about. But David spends a lot of time talking about his enemies and how much he hates his enemies and how much he hopes God gets them, Right? That doesn't sound like, new, like Jesus to me. That doesn't sound like New Testament, you know? But there's something there. There is something there. Because we wrestle not, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And we are in a warfare. And so when David talks about warfare, it's instructive. There's something there that God wants us to know and to learn and to apply. David's form of worship was different than what they were practicing at Shiloh. It was not what God had prescribed. But David, when he became king, he was like, he asked, like, where is the Ark of the Covenant? And they told him where the Ark of the Covenant was. And David was like, that ain't right, man. David was taking over. David had come in and he was driving the enemies out. He was driving the Philistines out. He had taken Jerusalem, but there was still one place in Jerusalem that there was still enemy living in the middle of the city, and that was Mount Zion. That was the Jebusites. And when David came into power, that's the one thing that he wanted, because he wanted Jerusalem to be his capital city, and he wanted Mount Zion to be the center of the nation and the center of the city. And in that place, he says, that's where I'm going to put the Ark of the Covenant. It's not going to be on some forgotten, you know, backwater. It's going to be right in the dead center. It, it's like, I want the presence of God in the center of our city. Why anybody else hadn't thought of that before, I don't know. But David fought a, a great battle to, to win Mount Zion. And when he did, the first thing that he did was to go and get the Ark of the Covenant and to bring it up into the city. And you know so that story... You know how he did it wrong to begin with. Um, he did not realize how, how deadly it was, and one of his guys got killed. And it kind of you know, rained on that parade. They stopped what they were doing, and they parked it for a while. And, but David had an intention of bringing that, the Ark of the Covenant up. And so when he did, he went and got it, and they began with sacrifices. They, I think they would take like 10 steps, and they would sacrifice. And then they'd take 10 more steps, and they would sacrifice. And the whole time, the band is going. Music is going. See, God never told him to do it this way. He told him, he told him this is how you have to carry it. You have to carry the Ark of the Covenant. You can't put it on a cart. It's not a piece of furniture. It's the presence of God. And it needs to be borne by people. It needs to be brought by people. He wants people to carry him in. And he wants people to carry him into the world now too. That's, that's just what God's desire is. He wants people power is what he wants. Not horsepower or cow power. So he comes and he gets them and he does the sacrifices. And then he does something that is like, 
I just can picture it, man. It, it just kind of indicates to you what kind of guy David was. It says he danced before the Lord with all his might. Can you imagine that? What that must have been like? I don't know if he was a good dancer, but I know he was enthusiastic. And that makes up a lot for talent. Doesn't it? Have you been to any weddings lately? Do you know what I'm talking about? And when he brought it up, he brought it up and he put it in the, uh, uh, he had a place for it in Mount Zion. It wasn't a temple yet. He didn't, he didn't get to build the house for God, but he got to have it where it was going to be. And he brought it in and he instituted worship there. He instituted a form of worship that included a lot of his songs and a lot of other songs that were part of the way that they worshipped the Lord. Now here's some things that are, that are unique about David's um, expression of worship, the, the form that he used, um, that, and these are the things that God loves. It's personal, it's honest, and it's heartfelt. It's so easy to go through the motions, man. It's so easy to say the words and not really think about what you're saying, you know? And that happens to me almost every worship service. There comes a place where I have to stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What am I saying? What am I singing? And be intentional about that. It was a big difference between the way that they were worshiping the Lord. God, here's what God said about uh, the way that they were worshiping before. He said, these people draw near to me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. That's heartbreaking. That's like a husband just saying the words to his wife, but there's no feeling. She knows there's no feeling in his heart. That's like a child talking to their parent. Or a parent talking to their child and just saying the words, but there's no, there's no honesty there. David's worship was honest. His, his worship was personal. His, his worship was heartfelt. It came from the heart. It wasn't just, just saying the words. It wasn't just lip service. Another aspect of it is, is it was contagious. Now, if you saw the king dancing like that, you would have a hard time keeping your feet from moving, man. Because you want that. It's still contagious today. I think you cannot read the book of Psalms. I know there's some of them that are hard. I'm I already said that. Some of them are difficult and challenging. But some of them, it's just like, man, it makes you want to worship. You know the word hallelujah that people use? Do you know what that word actually means? The literal translation is praise the Lord. And it was a corporate thing. It wasn't just an individual thing. Sometimes we say praise the Lord and then nobody praises the Lord. If you want to set your heart on fire, when you read the book of Psalms and you come to the place where it says praise the Lord, stop for a minute and do that. That's a novel idea, isn't it? Because that's exactly what it's telling you to do. It's telling you, praise the Lord. And that's what David was doing. He was, he was praising the Lord out of his heart, and people were catching it. Everybody that was around him caught it. It was contagious. David's worship was contagious. It was something that people, and we still do today, if you read the book of Psalms, you catch that from it, and you want to do it. David's worship was skillfully performed. I know there are some people, even today, that think that uh, instruments don't belong in the church. They don't belong in, or that they're um, kind of a distraction. And, that God, and I'll tell you what, man, God doesn't say either or. He loves human voices lifted to praise Him. He does. But there's some things that you can do on an instrument that you can't do with your voice. And your voice is an instrument anyway. Your voice is vocal cords, and all you're doing is using breath to excite those vocal cords and to shape it, right? Some of us do it nice, and some of us, you know, it's not that great to listen to. But it's enthusiastic is what we're after, right? That's what we're after is enthusiasm. We want it to be an honest expression from the heart, and we don't want our hearts being held back by anything. David was skillful on his instrument. He was so skillful on his instrument that he did warfare and drove demons away. Saul called for David to come and play for him. And it didn't say that David sang, it said that David played. 
And when he played on the instrument, the demon left Saul. Now that's not just physically skilled, that's spiritually skilled. And if you've ever been somewhere where someone has uh, what we, we can call prophesied on an instrument, there's nothing like it. I was in a worship, thing, worship um, seminar one time, um, and somebody prophesied on a trumpet. And I still remember that. I still remember. And I, it, there was no words to it, but there was power in it. It was a call. It was a, uh, it was a declaration on, a, on brass that just moved my heart. It just caused me to, you know, to stand up on the inside, you know? David was skilled. David learned the instrument. But listen, David not only learned the instrument himself, but he also included other people playing instruments that he didn't play together and coordinated them all together to bring a sound that had not been heard before in the worship of the Lord. These guys are the ones that when uh, Jehoshaphat was under attack, he called for the worship team. Now you picture this. I don't know who these musicians were, but most musicians that I know are, except for David Cook, are what we might call skinny-armed, you know, introverts that love to play instruments. Not the guys that you want wielding a big sword. And, and Jehoshaphat called for them, and they went out to, to, uh, to fight the enemy, and they put the band first. And you know what the, you know what the, enemies di- the enemy did? They were routed. They were destroyed. Why? Not just because they were scared of the band. But they understood the God who was being worshipped there and being declared through that music and had, was being broadcast through that music was coming to get them. And I'll tell you what, today, there's an application in that for you. If you're facing something difficult, at least let them hear you singing, man. At least let them hear you praising the Lord. At least let them hear some kind of a declaration from you that's not perfunctory, like I've got to do this, but it's like, you know. And do you know some good songs like that? We sing them all the time. Put them in your pocket because you're going to need them. He was skillful. David's form of worship was corporate. It wasn't just individual. Listen, we are not made to do this alone. Some of the times that my heart has been moved the most um, I remember a Promise Keepers a rally that I went to one time, and we were all singing um, Holy, 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 you know, which I've sung since I was a kid. And I uh, am ashamed to admit, have sung through sometimes and not even thought about what I was saying. But man, that day in Texas Stadium, and those big booming voices of, the, of those men, Holy, Holy, Holy. It was just like that, man. You could just hear the echo in the, and it was. And I was standing next to a guy that I don't even, I I don't know where he came from. And he just lifted up his hands and began to worship the Lord. And I wondered whether maybe that guy had never lifted his hands to worship the Lord before. But in this corporate environment, with people around, with other men around, singing unashamedly, he was caught up into it too. There's something powerful about two or more, or 200 or more, or 2,000 or more. And if you look in the book of Revelation, that's where we're destined. We haven't experienced anything compared to what we're going to experience there, but it's a foretaste. It's a little bit of heaven. Because there, there are multitudes upon multitudes singing together. It sounds like the sound of many waters. It sounds like a waterfall. It sounds like the thunder of a waterfall. Every individual voice saying in their own way, together, holy is the Lord. It's powerful. Corporate worship, unity in in the declaration and in the song moves the heart of God. It moves the heart of God. And finally, David's form of worship was pleasing to the Lord. You know what I think was maybe the most pleasing to the Lord? Is that God didn't tell him how to do this. 
God didn't tell him, had David, you know, here's a, like, like he did with the Ark of the Covenant. He told him every single ring and, and nut and bolt to put on that thing and how to put it and exactly what size and all of this. And God didn't tell David any of that stuff. It was David's idea, and God loved that. He loved that. He loved that this was just effervescing out of this man's heart in worship to him. And God is like, boy, I love just love to hear that. Let it ring, man. Let it ring. I do have notes. So let's talk about the uh, song, Songs of Ascents. Um, so this was sung corporately um, as they were journeying from Jericho to Jerusalem. God told them, uh, three times a year, I want you guys to come and, and gather. And once David made Jerusalem the capital, that's where they were going. And he said, I want y'all to have three festivals. I want y'all to have three big parties every year. And I want you to come from wherever you are and come this way. And if you came from the north, this is the way that you would come. Because you would travel down from the Sea of Galilee along the Jordan River to Jericho. And then you would head up into the hills up to Jerusalem. And it's a steep climb. And so these thousands and thousands of people are, are making this journey from the north all the way into Jerusalem. And as they're going, you can hear them singing these songs. It's a corporate event. It's a journey together. It's, uh, it's 14 um, psalms. Um, I'm not sure at this time how we're going to study them. Because um, I'm not going to... I, I don't think it's necessary for us to do 14 uh, weeks of it. And I'm thinking about just breaking it up into the different types of, of songs so that we can kind of talk about this is what we do in worship. This is, this is how we worship the Lord. Um, there is um, songs that are just about reminding us of who God is and how good He's been, like what Carson was singing this morning. There's, there's songs that are just like that, that you need to hear that, you know? And there was something in, in her voice when she was singing this morning that meant that it, was, it meant something to her. I remember I remember. Some of these psalms are that way. Some of them are laments. Um, I'm going to talk about our worship in a minute, okay? So I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that. So the Song of Ascents. This diverse group, it includes individual and corporate laments, songs of confidence, um, thanksgiving hymns. Um, there's one celebrating Zion, celebrating where they're going, reminding themselves of where they're going on this, uh, on this journey. Um, there's wisdom psalms. One of them is written by um, Solomon. And even if it wasn't credited to him, um, you could tell because the word vain or vanity appears in it like two times in the first two verses. So, you know, this has got his fingerprints all over it. Um, there's a royal psalm, and there's a psalm for a, like a liturgical occasion. Like, you know, this is, this is what we're going to do on this, this occasion. Um, the Psalms, and this is one of the things why it's important for us to study the Psalms and, um, and to, to sing the Psalms together, is because they don't just express emotions. When sung in faith, they actually shape the emotions of the godly. So if you read a Psalm and it's a lament, and there's only, I think there's only um, one example, maybe two examples of laments like that, and you can think of them. You know how David talked to God, man. I mean you know, make his ears burn sometimes the way that he would talk to him, right? And I want you to know God is big enough to take it. He is. And he would much rather honesty than this passive-aggressive thing like, oh yeah, God, you're great, and all of that. And on the inside, I don't think he's great at all, you know? He would much rather have it out, you know? What do you got to say? And David would do. But you know what he would do? He, he always started one place, and he always ended up another place. And the place he ended up was like, you're great, God, I just love you so much, you know? You're so faithful, and I know that you know, you're going to do it right, and I don't know how you're going get, to get it done, but I know that you're going to do it right. He always did that. He started off low and wound up high. Sometimes he started off high and kept it up there, you know? But in almost every one of the Psalms, in, in laments, he starts off with an honest axe to grind sometime, or it sound, sounds a little whiny, maybe. You know, maybe he's having a pity party, something like that, but he always winds up 
in the presence of the Lord, and it's always redemptive in nature. So what I'm saying to you is the Psalms don't just express it, they shape it. They shape us. So if you go into it and you identify with that first part of the Psalm, it's going to bring you into the presence of the Lord. And that's what corporate worship is designed to do too. We bring ourselves to worship, but our worship is more than just what we bring to the table. Because active in our worship, active in, in our worship, is the Holy Spirit. And you can hear Him, and you can feel Him, and you can sense Him. We come, and most of the time I think we come because we want to, and we, we need to, and we rejoice to. Sometimes we come, you know, reluctantly, but we drag ourselves in. But He comes to do what He can do. And He sings through us a song that's a perfect song to the Lord. And as we're singing to the Lord, we're singing to ourselves and we're singing to one another. He comes to mold and shape us as we come to Him together. The Psalms enable the whole congregation to take upon themselves to own the troubles and victories of the individual members so that everyone can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who who weep. That's what corporate worship is supposed to be. That's what the worship in the temple was um, in, in David's time. So I want to. I'm, I'm just going to kind of give you a real brief introduction. Then we're going to go to the communion table. This is kind of an overview of these 14 psalms, and I can tell you. Well, I'm just going to. I'm just going to let that sit. That's just kind of a. Um, if you want to take a picture of that, um, so that when you're doing, and I encourage you, like over the next few weeks. Make this a part of your regular Bible study, okay? And spend some time in these psalms because we may not be talking about each one of those individually verse by verse, but we're going to be talking about the things that you find there. And this is like, um, I don't know if this, you're, you're the same way, but like um, one of the things that I love about reading um, classics and like Shakespeare and stuff like that is that Shakespeare says so. He, like, he, he started some stuff that we still say today. And we're like, oh, that's where we get that expression from. And that's what the Psalms are. If you start reading the Psalms, there'll be probably two or three verses in almost every single Psalm that you're going to say, man, not only do I recognize that, I love that. I love that. So that's an, this is an example of sort of the, um, uh, um, the essence of each one of those um, Psalms. Let me, let me um, finish by just talking about some thoughts on our corporate worship. Um, and I know I've told you before that when I first got saved, I, I, I went to a, uh, an event, um, and uh, it was a charismatic um, group, and um, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law wanted us to go, and uh, so we went. It was at uh, Agape Force. Some of y'all might remember Agape Force. And uh, they were singing this hokey little song about stand up, sit down, clap, 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 and everybody's doing it. And like we, my brother and sister-in-law, were, they sat us on the front row. So everybody sees, you know, it's like either you're going to do it and look like an idiot or you're going to not do it and look like an idiot. So it was just like, you know, I hated it. I hated that. And then the guy stood up to preach, and he, his name is uh, Winky Pratt, and he's still preaching, but he stood up to preach and I hung on every word that he said. It was powerful. It was like nothing I had ever heard before. I'd never heard anybody speak like that. And at the end of that, I was just like, man, why can't we just have the preaching part and not have to do the goofy, you know, stand up, sit down, clap, clap, clap part? What I found out before very long is the worship part, the most important part for me to actually hear the preaching part. And I'm not talking about a goofy song like that. But listen, man, if you're too proud or too arrogant to sing a goofy song to Jesus, then there may be something wrong with you. He may be wanting you to sing a goofy song, you know, just to kind of take you down a notch so you're not all high and mighty and arrogant about it, but you're just like, if Jesus gets a big kick out of this, I'll sing this little light of mine, you know. I'll do it. And that's what I found. In order to enter into his presence, I had to go through the filter of worship. And the filter of worship sometimes was changing me and shaping me so i want to talk just a little bit about um about our corporate worship we 
we have great advantages here where we are. We're a non-denominational church. We have awesome worship, awesome worship team and awesome worship um, um, members, um, an awesome worship leader. We have great advantages here. One thing I've loved about TCF from the very beginning is we've never had worship wars. We have had some people that were kind of, you know, opinionated about, you know, what they like and what they don't like and stuff like that. But we've never had, like, the congregation saying, I want us to sing this kind of song. I want us to sing this kind of song. And so when you sing this kind of song, all of these people just sit down and shut up. And then you sing this kind of song and all these people just sit down and shut up. We've never had that. We have great advantage. We have, God has blessed us in that we, have, we can sing hymns, we can sing choruses, we can sing spontaneously, we can be quiet. And that is unusual, guys. That's not, that's not really common. And if you've been part of other churches, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes worship is like the most stressful part of the whole experience. And here is just fun most of the time, or it's just really heart-touching, or it's really, you know, it's just really beautiful, and we sense the presence of the Lord here. I'm not saying it's easy. So I'm saying we have an advantage, but I'm also saying we have great responsibility to protect that, to, to treasure that, to respect and honor that. We have great responsibility to do that. I'm not saying you can't give feedback, but if you're going to talk about it, talk to David. He loves to talk about worship, and he loves to hear what people you know, people want, people think, and what people respond to. So we have great responsibility. We can worship God freely, honestly, and corporately. And I can honestly say there's probably not anything that you want to do in worship that we would say, you know, you got to take that outside. And we've had some. Amen? And this is a loving, warm, loving, supportive con congregation listen you may have some ways of worshiping the lord that you're comfortable with and then some ways of worshiping the lord that you're not comfortable with i suggest to you like god taught me that the ones that you're not very comfortable with may be the breakthrough that you're looking for like exuberantly worshiping the lord like shouting when the song says to shout man i miss billy don't don't you miss billy yeah somebody's got to pick it up though we got to pick it up right Maybe it's that exuberant thing, or maybe it's really quiet. Maybe it's taking a knee, or maybe getting down on your face to worship the Lord. Maybe God wants to break through something in your own heart by you, by you expressing worship to Him in a form that you're not used to or you're not comfortable with. And when you find yourself face down on the carpet, God may be speaking to you in a way that He never could have spoken to you when you're standing up raising your hands. We have great freedom. We also have great responsibility that comes with it. One of the mistaken ideas, one of the things that I have a problem with, and I've talked to David about this um, before, and if you've talked to me, you know that I just hate how expendable we are with, um, with songs nowadays. Is that right when you learn one, you never sing it again, you know? Because people are afraid of wearing out songs. I want to sing a song that comes straight from my heart that I know by heart. And I've got to sing it a bunch of times before I can do that, right? The, here's the problem that I have, and I'm not talking about the different forms of, of worship. What I'm talking about is, is that we think that we're making progress in worship and that by, by nature what we have is better than what we used to have. And that's just not true. These expressions of worship, if it is corporate Christian expressions of worship that were inspired by the Holy Spirit, they are timeless. Now there are some parts of it that are going to be obsolete. But there are some parts of it that are going to endure straight on into eternity, I believe. I believe that we'll be singing, A mighty fortress is our God. I believe that. Because I believe that it was an expression that came from the Holy Spirit, and when it was given to us, it was, it was eternal. It's not... It's not you know, one of these things that gets obsolete. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a timelessness uh, there's, uh, to the essence of genuine corporate worship by the body of Christ. What does God delight in, in worship? What do you think God delights in in worship? Honesty. Clean hands and a pure heart. And we're going to come to the table, and this is a perfect time 
Settle your accounts with God. If there's anything, big or small, do you like David, we have recorded in Psalms, he says, Lord, search me and try me and know my heart and tell me if there's any wicked way within me that's not pleasing to you. Can we just pause for a second and let David infect us with that? Just bow your head or close your eyes or do whatever you do to shut out everything else except Him and just say that to Him. Lord, search me and try me. If He brings something up, you tell Him the same thing that He says about it. You don't justify it. You don't explain it away. What He calls it, you call it. That's what confess means. And when you get up from that, man, and you start worshiping the Lord, he loves the sound of it because it's honest, because it's heartfelt. We should highly value this experience. We should not let anything keep us from this experience. Corporate worship is that important. And again, that's one of those things that just I don't understand how people don't value corporate worship. When it's, when it's the body of Christ gathering together, it's the body of Christ, yeah, but it's Christ too. And how can we not value that? We should highly value that. We should put a priority on that. We shouldn't let anything keep us from entering, entering into his presence. And then finally, just like we're coming to the table today, we want to come prepared. Come prepared to worship. Don't show up on Sunday morning, you know, just barely making it here, you know, and just show up and, let, and find out what's going to happen. Ask for something. Ask for something ahead of time. If you ask God to move in this congregation, and sometimes that's all it takes, guys. Sometimes it only takes one or two or three people. There were times when I was worship leader that somebody would come up to me after worship and, it, and like glory had fallen. Most of the time that there was just like a, a, a deep, you know, moving presence of God, somebody would come up and say, I prayed for you last night or I prayed for you today. It might only take one person, but what if all of us did that? What if all of us prayed, oh God, move mightily in our midst. Oh God, they're going to be brokenhearted people there. Will you come and minister to them? They're going to be people who need healing. They're going to be people who need hope. They're going to be people who come to rejoice, and they need people to rejoice with them and pray that God would move and prepare your own heart for God to move. If you just show up, it may or may not happen. You pray and you ask, it'll happen. And even if it only happens for you, it'll happen. I guarantee you that. So prepare yourself. God, God honors preparation. Let's come to the communion table this morning. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise your name, Lord. Praise your holy name. Can you just speak praise to him right now? You can do it really quietly if you want to. You can whisper or you could speak loud if you want to. Can you, let's just begin to, begin to worship him and begin to praise him. Tell him how good he is. Tell him how faithful he is. Thank him for all the benefits. And you can even name them if you want to. Blessings in your life are not things of people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness, God. Thank you for your deliverance. Thank you, Lord, that you always, you always come through. Always come through. Thank you that no matter how big the thing that I'm facing is, you're bigger. You're bigger. You're better. Thank you that there's nothing that touches me that hasn't touched you first. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you rejoice in your people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that Jesus Christ is being formed in me. Hallelujah. God did tell us to worship him this way. He told us to remember him this way. He said, I want you to set a table and I want you to just have some basic elements there. 
And each one of those elements is going gonna, is gonna to speak of me. First of all, the table. He didn't call us to a bloody altar. He didn't call us to sacrifice this morning. He called us to remember the one sacrifice that was sufficient for all of them. That's what this table is. It's a place of fellowship. It's not a place of suffering. It's a place of provision. It's a place of love and acceptance. And you belong here. By the blood of the Lamb, you belong here. He took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body, which will be broken for you. And he took the cup. And even as he poured it, he saw his own blood. The sacrifice that he was really shortly going to make. Within hours, it wouldn't just be a cup poured out. It would be his, his very life in his blood poured out. He said, this is a cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Everything you need is in Jesus Christ that's represented at this table. Let's just pause for just a second. This is about as formal a thing as you'll ever do, come into this table. But it's like a wedding. It's happy formal. It's not solemn formal. It's happy formal. Let's stand together. Can I have the elders join me? Joyce are on this side and Ben and Jennifer are on, on this side. Um, if you need prayer before you come, maybe there's just something that you just want to agree in prayer. You want to get somebody to pray for you. Um, you can pause and, and get them to pray for you before you come to communion. After you have received the elements, you're free to go um, and share. Some people like to share the elements with their families and, and things like that. So, <clears throat> Thank you. You're free to come. Just, just come and partake. God bless you. And I say yes, Lord, I say yes, Lord, I say yes, my life is yours.